So today, I'm excited. We are going to be continuing our message that we started last week. I got a lot of great feedback. Some people said that they really enjoyed the message last week. It's, it's, it's really a practical message, but you know, we serve a practical God as well. Anybody, anybody believe that? Uh, you don't touch the stove eye, right, because you get burned, right? God, God, he tells us just to do some simple things, and, and, and they'll work. And so our God is, is a spiritual God. Everything that we do as believers is spiritual, but there are some practical things that we can do for success as well. And so we're going to continue this message titled, Family Matters. Y'all say that with me. Family Matters. So we started last week, we talked about the importance and the role that the family, the core family, our physical families, play. And did you know that the, the physical family is super important, but also God wants us all to be part of a spiritual body, a, a church family that we can call home as well. You can't do one without the other. They actually, they supplement each other. And when both, when we are part of both a healthy physical family and a church family that works together to benefit our good. Amen. And if you've been paying attention, you've been living a while, you know that our world is under attack. At every corner, every crack, every crevice, the enemy and it's really the church's fault, it's really the family's fault on why we have all these voided areas. We've crept the door open and the enemy has come in like a flood. And our families are under attack. They are under attack because the enemy knows how valuable they are. The enemy knows that family matters. And because our families are under attack, we said, right, church, if our family's under attack, that means it's a family matter. And so we're going to do some family matter business. You know, when you have family matters with your family, you get everybody surrounded at the, the dinner table and you say, hey, we're going to sit and talk about this, right? Church, how could we take back our communities for the glory of God? Yes, we need to be at our community meetings. We need to be at our school board meetings. But see, we're, 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 we're thinking way past the practical small steps that we need to do first, somebody say first, to accomplish the big things. If we could get Jesus back into our family families first, then the rest of the stuff might start taking care of itself. You have to start at a foundational level. And if we could take one family at a time back for the glory of God, y'all, Holly Pond will take care of itself. Right? Alabama will take care of itself. And then we can begin to go bigger and farther. But God sees souls, and we have to think of it just that way. One, one soul at a time, one family at a time. You, you save an addict, a, mo a mother, or you save another addict, a, a father. You save them for, for, for Jesus, and they can turn their whole family around. Right? And so it's super important. It's super key. The key to the victory of the kingdom of God is our families. It really is. And so that's what we're going to talk about, continue talking about today. Amen? So let's look at that foundational scripture. Actually, we got two of them that we used as we started this, right? We always want to build everything on a foundation. If you want something to stand and last, you know what it has to be built on? It has to be built on this, the Word of God, right? 
the, the standard of what every Christian is called to, the standard of what every church is going to answer to, the standard of what every person, every family one day is going to stand before the Creator according to what they did with this. And so we want to start everything that we preach and teach on this. Amen? And so we use Genesis 1, 27 through 28. That's the first one we used. And so it says, So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them. I told you last week to underline that. Go ahead and do that again this week if you didn't already. God said He blessed them. Underline it. It says, be fruitful and multiply. I asked you to underline both of those. And he says, fill the earth and govern it. That's the last thing I want you to highlight or underline is govern it. At verse 28, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Family is a blessing that God used to intend to give us blessing, to bear, to bring fruitfulness, right? Be fruitful and multiply, to bring multiplication and governance. God wants to use the family to bring about all of those things. God knew something. God knows we can accomplish more with others around us. And God can accomplish more through you and your family than he can just through you, right? So God created man in his image, and he uses family as a blessing intended to bring fruitfulness, multiplication, and governance, okay? Look at Ephesians 2.19. That's the last foundational scripture that we use. It says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family, we need a physical family that God wants to bless us with. And I hope and pray you have a great family. I understand not all of us grew up with a, a great family. Most of us, statistics say, had a messed up family probably. I want you to know that wasn't God's fault. That was sin's fault. People chose sin over you. And I'm sorry if it breaks my heart that maybe you experienced pain and abuse and trauma. For people that were supposed to love you, that was not God's fault. And it, it may be their fault, but just think, how was their upbringing? And when you are deceived in sin, do you know that you're deceived in sin? We've all been there, right? Somebody who's deceived doesn't know they're deceived. And so it may be their fault, but I, I just share that to say, if they're lost, maybe they necessarily didn't know how lost they were, and the enemy used them to hurt you, and I'm sorry. But God also wants to give you a spiritual family to fill in those gaps, fill in those holes, to help make you healthy and whole again. Amen. If you don't have a home church, we would love to have you here at Liberty Church. We'll come alongside you. We'll help you. We'll love you where you're at. Amen. And if you believe in Jesus, the Bible says, as we just read, that you are now called a citizen of heaven. God's very own holy people, right? You are members, somebody say members, of God's family. Members of God's family. God has a massive, think how massive God's dining table is in heaven. He has a chair with your name on it. Just waiting for you to take your place. 
And God wants to facilitate you taking your place through a local life-giving church. For somebody to say what I just said to you. That there's a place for you. There's a place for you here. And God wants to, he wants to make you better and whole, but he also wants to use you for his glory. He has a plan and a purpose for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for a future and a hope. Future and a hope? That sounds like pretty good things. Right? He does. And no matter what happened in the past, God says, give, give, give me another shot. Trust in me. Believe in me. I got you. And then he does. He's got you. So let's look at that first point. Let me backtrack and say, we're all members of a family of God because of what Christ Jesus did for you and for me. He's the reason you have a seat at his table. It's only because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and for me. He calls you accepted. He calls you chosen. He proved that when he said, amen, it's finished on the cross, right? So that first point, it says the foundation stone of all society is the family. Before there was a community, school, or government, God created the family. Just think of that. Before we're created in God's image, God's the creator. So imagine what do we do? We just begin to create things. The thing is, society, the world, we've gone from worshiping the creator who created everything to worshiping the creation of the things that we've created. And God is being plucked out of each and every good and pleasing thing. And it's really because we've done it to ourselves. We've forgotten. And that's why we need the local church to speak truth to remind us. But so before there was all those things that we now have, God created the family. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we also have a spiritual family. We call it our forever family. That is your spiritual family that I hope you're a part of. I hope you have a home church that you can call home a place where you can spiritually grow and thrive in the kingdom of God, right? Here at Liberty Church, we call it a forever family because that's what it is. Pastor Ian, I will forever have your back no matter what's going on in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Like the country western or the western movie. We got good things, we got bad things, we got some ugly things, and that's why we need Jesus, right? That's why I need somebody to fight with me, alongside me, somebody that I can trust and know who's praying for me, who's going to help me, who's going to do all the things for me, right? We will do that with you, I promise, amen? But here, here's the thought I want to leave you with, is God created the family to shape the world. That was the intention. God said, be fruitful, multiply, uh, and govern the things that I've surrounded you with. And the thing is, we've lost sight. Y'all, the world is shaping our families, our families are being molded by CNN News. Our families are being molded by Netflix and Facebook. It's backwards. And it's because we've allowed the enemy to have his way with us. We've surrendered the core family. And so we're not going to get it back unless we, you and I, take it back. God's given us that responsibility. God says, I called you to govern the world for my glory. And so when we do it in that proper way, y'all, the world will begin to change around us. There will be more hope. There will be more light in the darkness. But it has to start with us. 
right? It has to start with us. So look at that next point, that last recap point before we get into the new part. So we said this last week too. It is the families where we discover our identity. Did you know before I said that God says you can govern the world around you as long as you do it for his namesake and for his glory, right? That's wrapped in your identity, knowing who you are and the authority that you have in Christ. And so you have all power and glory and anointing and gifts and talents if you believe in Jesus, right? You have the ability to to bind and loosen. Did you know that? To bind the things on earth and release and loose things from heavenly places, right? That's wrapped in your identity. So it's the families where we discover that. We have to convey and communicate to our kids, to our grandkids, not just who they are. Yes, they have a a high value in who God has made them to be. Each and every person is different, but also knowing that their identity is wrapped in the one who died for them. So the rest of that point, it says, the most influential voice in the life of a child is its family. Okay? Parents, grandparents, siblings, identity is the well from which we literally draw our self-worth. It's, it's, it's the, the voices that God has given us that give us the power to shape and mold identity. And we have to use our words to speak life. The consequences of our words reveal their power, right? Because what does the word say? That the power of life and death are in the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. Those are some heavy consequences, y'all. The power of life and death over your kids is in here. So how are you speaking to them? What are you saying to them? What are you coming alongside? God is the ultimate Uh, potter. We are always on his potter's wheel, but he facilitates that power and authority extended through parents and grandparents. He wants you to come alongside him and and use what he said and what he's spoken to help mold and shape them and declare their identity. Because y'all, if you know who you are, man, you want to talk about confidence and boldness and gifts and talents that begin to spring out of somebody who knows who they are. I feel like we have so many kids growing up not knowing who they are, not even knowing who they are because they didn't have a father, they didn't have a mom, not depositing these things, not speaking life, not only not knowing who they are and the value of life, but not even knowing that they're valuable in the eyes of God. Talk about a depressing, hopeless life. That's why everybody's on edge. That's why everybody hates everybody. That's why no one can, can sit and talk and, and just share ideas because everyone's mad at everybody because no one knows their identity in the eyes of God. And if we would see that, recognize that, y'all, we might start respecting each other better. We might start loving people like Jesus said to love people. We might start giving people grace, giving people mercy. Instead of being offended, so I offend. Did Jesus say that? I don't think so. But I get it. We're humans, right? We get hurt. Y'all heard that saying, you know, hurt people hurt people. And it's a vicious cycle of what? Death. 
We can't break that cycle of death until we literally break out and see our identities. And God wants to use us, use our mouths, use our words to declare identity. Amen? Identity is vital because it helps declare our values also. So I want to go ahead and look at that first new point today. Today, we're going to focus on the values of the family, the values of the church, and how we're supposed to use our identity and who God calls us to be, using our words to continue to build a foundation that will stand. How we can take, excuse me, take back our families and our church houses for real truth, real glory. We have to begin to declare not just our personal beliefs, our personal ideas, but the values of this. The values of what God says. Right? So look at that point. It says, in our families, we define our values. I hope and pray that in your family, you, you talk about who you are. I shared last week that me and Pastor Jessica, we do that a lot. You know, we, we sit, we'll drive around if we're on vacation or whatever we're doing. Who are the Westbrooks? We routinely ask that question. How do we uh, reflect the life of Jesus? Uh, how do we reflect being a Christian? And what do we, the Westbrooks, do that make us stand out as, what makes the Westbrooks the Westbrooks? You need to have those conversations with your family, right? Because you're the only family that God's ordained to be to do what you can do. And so in our families, we have to define our values, right? Our identity determines how we treat ourselves and others, and our values determine how we treat the world and everyone in it. That's good. We have to not just declare God's values, but the values that we want to even uh, take, a, take a step up, Right? to stand out for God's glory. And so how we respond in life situations, in circumstances, uh, in hard places, in, in hills and valleys, if you want to say, of life, how we respond should, somebody say should, be tied to what I value. How I respond to those tough places should be tied to my values and what I believe. Otherwise, it makes me a hypocrite, right? And you know what the world hates the most? is hypocrites. <laughs> and I believe that's really why the church has such a bad name a lot of the times, because you had somebody who professed Christ, and they were in contact with a non-believer, and it might have been the only Christian that person ever got close with, and they looked and acted, smelled, talked, looked nothing like Jesus. Right? And so then what do they use? Oh, the church, the entire church is a hypocrite. So see the value in who you are and who is watching you if you declare that you are a Christian. Right? So how we respond should be tied to our values. Our values have to be a place of esteem. Things that I believe, things that I don't just say that I actually do. Because that's what makes a value a value. It's not something that I just say. It's not just virtual or virtue signaling, right? Y'all hear that term a lot? Oh, it's a virtue signal. Oh. So somebody doesn't get offended. Our values can't just be this thing that I say or something that I put on Facebook to make me seem a certain way, when in reality I look, act, nothing like the thing that I say that I do. Right? Our values are more than words. They must be actions. And this specifically 
is important for you and me today, right? Because I can sit and say while I'm at work, while I'm driving to work, while I'm away from my family, I have all these good intentions, all these great ideas, all these things I want to do. I can say, I'm going to start spending time with my kids. I'm going to go ahead, you know what, from, from 7 to 9, which we do at the Westbrook House, sometimes when we're getting too much on our phones, I say, you know what, for the next two hours, we're not touching our phones. It's going to be family time. That's the best two hours we got. And so but I can sit there and say, you know, I'm going to start doing that. But if I don't actually do it, nothing changes. And so our values have to be more than just thoughts. They have to be more than just words. They have to actually begin to come outside of us to be manifested. And that's how we become available for God to use us, right? So look at, look at that next point. And so family matters because our values, they become the foundation stones. And this is how important it is why they can't just be words that have to become actions because we want to build something that's going to stand, right? Do you want to pass a legacy uh, on to your kids or your grandkids one day when you die? Something that's going to outlive you, right? The thing that is probably going to outlive you would probably be a value, a family value. Something that's going to be tradition, something that's going to, something that's going to outlive us. Right? And so it becomes a foundation stone upon which we build our lives in society. The amazing thing that the Lord showed me about values is that it actually helps keep us focused on what we're building. You know, we're trying to build something that's eternal. Right? Think about the strongest things that stand the test of time. How do they continue to stand? Just look at the Great Pyramids. Anybody ever been there? Nobody? They're still standing after all these hundreds, thousands of years. Anything that has any significant value that is going to withstand the test of time, how does it continue to stand? What does it need to have? Now you have to start at the very beginning. You have to start at its foundation. And so if we are talking about taking our families and our churches and our communities and our states and our nation back for God, I can't jump steps. I can't take back my nation by starting at the White House first. Does that make sense? I got to start with where God's placed me first. You know what? And I could, I could raise Y'all know we got little Xander. I could raise him up in the truth and start at a foundation level. Spend every second, hour of every day just loving him, who he is, who's God made him to be, and God using me to tell him who God is and who God wants to be in his life. And you know what? Maybe one day Xander, Mitchell, Keith, Westbrook will be the first president ever in the United States from Holly Pond, Alabama. And you know what? God used the foundation thing to change the big thing at the end. Amen? And I'm just saying that talk great. Maybe I'm prophesying this morning. I don't know. Little Xander Mitchell Keith, what president of the United States? I don't know. I know God's got big plans for him. Amen? But do you see how that works? You never know the types of seeds that you are planting. So our words are seeds, and they're all foundational. Amen? And words, they are what help shape identities. I want to backtrack here a moment. We're talking about values. I'm going to get there, I promise. To get to values, first you got to start with your words. Because words shape and mold identities, right? And then when you know who you are, identities begin to help and build values. 
When you know who you are, you're saying, you know what, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're not going to do. You establish truth and establish values. And values, what do they do? They reinforce what we say we believe. And it's, that's how it works. Words, identity, values, and belief. And if we're trying to build things that will stand, that's the foundational way that we build things that will stand for eternity. We start with our words. They're transformed into identities. Identities are transformed into values. And values reinforce what we say we believe in. Amen? Look at Psalms 11.3. It says, If the foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, think about that. What can the righteous do? I couldn't help but think this week as I was studying and praying and getting ready for today, I feel like that's kind of where we're at. <laughs> the church is at a rock and a hard place. The foundations, because we've let them go, what can the righteous do? We're spinning our wheels. We're trying to come up with all these Crazy, even new age ideas, all sorts of crazy stuff. We're trying to get back the foundation that we've just surrendered over to the enemy. And it says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And hear me, the foundation of the family in the house, and the foundation of the church has been rocked. It's under attack. And so, every day that passes is a closer day that... Jesus is coming. I believe we're in the end times. And what are you doing with the day that God has gave you to redeem and build back the foundation, to take back? You know what? A foundation can get rocked, but you can begin to build back on top of it. Brick by brick by brick, family by family by family, person by person by person, soul by soul. By soul, right? The strongest things have to have the strongest foundations, and those have to start with us personally. Amen. So there's a there's uh, go ahead and look at that next point. So what I want to do for the rest of today is I want to break up looking at our natural families and our spiritual family, and give you just some practical. Like I said, this message is kind of practical. Some practical steps, some practical bricks, actual bricks that we can begin to build on top of each other, so that we can take our families back for his glory. Does anybody want to do that? Do you want your family to be blessed and to live in the truth? Right? Well, this is, this is really, I think, a great practical way on how we can achieve this. But it's going to start and stop with us. So I want to give you a couple things on the natural family first. Okay? So this, let's look at how we can build and value the right things in our natural families. That, that point. And you got them all listed. Great. So I'm just going to kind of list them, and then I'm going to speak a little bit on each. So in our natural families, we learn to value or devalue these things. We can place value on these things, or we can devalue them based on what we do with it, right? We got church, God, we got family, we got people, born and the unborn, that's a big issue. We got love and respect of each and every person uh, and relationships, which is super key. Right? We need good, strong, healthy relationships in our lives also. So but as I, as I was filling this out uh, and doing this, I just kind of put a question next to each one of these. And y'all can be, feel free for taking notes. You can go ahead and borrow the questions that I just kind of asked myself. Okay, so next to God and church, I just asked, are you placing high value on God and church by making it a priority? 
How do I do this in my family? How do I place, how do I value or devalue church and God? Am I making it a priority every day and every week of my life for my family to see? Are you getting up on Sunday mornings, getting ready, and going to church? Are you going to small group throughout the week? Are you plugged in and engaged? Is ministry something that is a part of your family? Do you not just come to church, sit, and go home, and don't even talk about Jesus the rest of the week? Or do you come to church, and then you on the way home, do you sit and talk about what the kids learned and what you learned? And then it doesn't just end there. It, you talk about it all week, that thing that maybe the Lord wants to do that week in your life. That's how we value church and God. And you can have all the great intentions in the world, right? But if you don't start doing those things, it'll stay devalued. And that value is not being passed on. Do you see that? The next one is family. So I... I just ask this question, what are you doing to show your family its worth? What are you doing when you get home from work to show your family that not you, that you just love them, but, but how much they're worth to you? Do you do things special when, when you got a birthday? Do you, do you sit and have dinner every single night? That's one thing we do at the Westbrook House. Every night we sit, actually at our dinner table, uh, without our phones, we sit and and we hang out with Xander, you know, he's still speaking baby talk, but we sit and talk to him, uh, and we eat. You know, what's that thing that you do to show your family, family, what it's worth to you? Because that's a value that can be passed on as well. That's a tradition that they're going to see how you treated them, and one day when they have kids, they're probably going to do family life the way that you're doing family life right now. Does that make sense? The next one, people and born and the unborn. I just asked this question. Does your family understand the value of life, all life? Have you communicated that truth that each and every person in the eyes of God is valuable? The born, the unborn, the saved, the lost, the Muslims, the Buddhists, the Chinese, the Russians, fill in the blanks, the ons, the ons, the ons, the gays, the transgenders. And so how do we come together and con- communicate the fact that they are still loved by God? It's their responsibility to accept or deny that fact or that truth because we're all going to answer to that truth one day. But as the church, we have to find that, we have to find that happy medium where we, we love people where they are but not enough to just not tell them the truth. And so does your family know the value of life? That just because I disagree with so-and-so doesn't mean I don't respect them. Somebody who is Muslim or, or gay or whatever can serve me and my family at a place I go out to eat, and we will give them honor and respect. And if the Holy Spirit prompts us to share the gospel we will. But if he doesn't, at the end of the day, when we get in the car and we go home, we're, we're going to pray for that person, but we're going to respect and honor them in their presence. Because the Westbrooks, we value life. And the unborn, that's a whole nother message for another day. Right? Do we need to be on our hands and knees praying for the unborn? Yes. I believe there's a tide shifting in our nation for the unborn. People are beginning to see what it is. That it is murder. Amen?
That last one, love and respect relationships, I kind of just talked about that a little bit, but I asked this question, what types of relationships are you modeling for your family? What types of people are you allowing over to your house, and what types of activities are you engaged in with those relationships? Because that's what your kids see. So if you come to church and you, you praise and worship Jesus on Sunday morning, and then Friday night you have a big party and everyone's getting drunk and doing crazy stuff, is that kind of confusing for a kid? Dad, you say you believe in Jesus, but you're all wasted, cussing and swearing and acting loud and weird and strange with your friends on the weekends. So you can value good, healthy, flourishing relationships and pass that on, or you can go ahead and continue this cycle of death and pass on broken, miserable, depressing relationships. And so it all hinges on the love and respect, right? No matter what, if you read this, Jesus loved and respected each and every person. Now, he got onto the Pharisees and Sadducees a couple times or two, but he still respected them. They were just engulfed in pride, right? They couldn't receive what Jesus was saying. So everything we do has to be hinged on love and respect. Here's the last thing I want to leave you with on that, that group of, of, of values. The relationships that we nurture... And the company that we keep must be based in the same beliefs and values. The relationships that we nurture and the company that we keep must be built and set in, based in the same beliefs and values. Now, I can still minister to the lost. I can still minister to people who are not Christians or believers. But you know what? I'm not opening my entire life up like an open book for them to just come in and come right alongside me, right? I love them and respect them from afar. And if Jesus does something to their life or their heart, then maybe we can go ahead and start growing and learning and running together. But until that happens, you got to keep lost people uh, at arm's length. You pray for them, you love them at a distance, right? And so we nurture the things that, that are healthy and growing and, and, and based in the truth of God. Look at 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4. And this just goes to prove to you. Y'all remember uh, King Solomon? Who knows who King Solomon was? The son of King David, right? Wrote the entire book of Proverbs, wrote Ecclesiastes. Most say the, most, the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth. Read this. Look at verse 1. It says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married uh, women from Moab, Ammonon, Edom, Sidon, and from among other Hittites, I would just say that don't seem, I got my hands tied with just one woman. Come on, somebody. One woman's enough for me. Uh, and Jesus in the New Testament belief, you know, one man and one, one woman, husband and wife, okay? So, but read on. Verse 2, it says, The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts uh, to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had over 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Go ahead, highlight that, underline that, star that, whatever you want to do. And in Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, as his father David had been. And I know I'm, I'm talking about King Solomon and like all these crazy number of wives, but I want to just bring it real in a little bit, make it real to you and me. 
as I'm talking about nurturing the right relationships and kind, trying to identify the company that we keep. The people that you allow into your life is super key and, and important and vital. Because if they don't believe the same things that you do, if they don't value the same things that you do, if, you, if you're a Christian, then you're going to be maybe trying to live in the light, right? And then you're trying to live in the darkness and, you're, and your life just looks gray. And you're not going to change the world for his glory if you look gray. God says be in the light, not in the darkness. We pray for the darkness. We minister to the darkness. And the light is what expels the darkness. If, they, if they're transferred into his glorious light, then we can be in relationship. Come on, somebody. We got some folks in this church that are literally transplanted from the darkness into the light. I'm one of them. And I'm thankful. Right? But that, that thing has to happen first, that spiritual shift inside the heart of a man or a woman. Look at 2 Corinthians 6.14. It says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness and lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Right? Light and darkness cannot mix. It's literally physically impossible. You cannot mix light and darkness. Amen? Look at that next group there, that next point. The last thing on the natural families, and then we'll roll into our spiritual families. So in our natural families, we learn to value or devalue these. Next couple things. Honesty and integrity. Work ethic, money, uh, money management and financial prosperity. Education and career, cleanliness and order. Next to each of those, next to honesty and integrity, I just asked, does your family understand the value of truth and lying? Do they understand the value of what it means to tell the truth, excuse me, no matter what? To seek truth, no matter what? And the repercussions of what a lie is and what it means. And a lie is something that will never go away. And I know living for the Lord his word says it'll be brought into the light. Darkness will be brought into light. Does your family understand that value, that we tell the truth, uh, we have honesty, we live in integrity in our home? Work ethic. Are you showing your family the best things in life are earned? Everybody this day and age just wants to get us that little gold star for doing nothing, right? Everybody's a winner. Nobody's a loser. They just hand us out all the free stuff. We feel entitled. We feel like everything just has to be given to us for no sake of anything. And so that value is going to be established in your home. Do they understand that the best things in life are the hardest things to work for? That it makes it more valuable when you have the blood, when you have the sweat, when you have the tears, when you prayed the prayers. And then when it happens, now you're so thankful. Right? Work ethic is how we take our families back. And they're going to see you how, you, how you demonstrate that. Money management. Are you demonstrating stewardship by honoring God with the tithe? Do your kids know that you honor God? If you say he's number one and he's everything, he only asks us to give him back 10% of what is his. The whole 100% is his. But he says just give back the 10%. Are you demonstrating the stewardship of that to your kids by giving that every week to a, a local, healthy, giving, life-giving church, where you, where a church that you call home. That's how the church begins to own its, itself and, and begin to establish its values. You buy into the kingdom of God, and you, you tithe, and you say, God, this is yours, and I'm giving it back. Right? 
Education and career. I ask, does your family understand that education never, somebody say never, ends? Even when you get out of high school, when you graduate elementary, when you graduate middle school, you graduate high school, if you go to college, you graduate, education never ends. It's something that you can never just stop doing. We constantly have to be educating ourselves. That's a value, especially educating ourselves in this, right? We, we can never, I could sit and read this every minute of every hour of every day, and it still wouldn't be enough for me, for Pastor Ian, to understand each and everything in here. And so I have to educate myself every day, every week, every year, right? And as I do that, God blesses that. Talk about practical. You just got to give them the time. You got to give them the effort. You got to give them the faith. And he blesses pra- the practical steps. Cleanliness in order. Are you, at, can your family see that everything has been given by God? It kind of goes back to stewardship. Cleanliness in order, do you take care of the things that God has blessed you with? Do you have a clean house? Is there order in the home? Is it just chaos? Uh, is, it, is it a crazy mess? God can't bless your mess. Some of y'all are still awake, right? Order, order and cleanliness is how we honor God. We show our kids, we take care of the stuff that we have because it's come from Him. We're blessed. We're thankful that we're going to take care of it. And even when we're done with it, we might pass it on to somebody else for to continue to live on or whatever it is. Amen? Uh, look at Hosea 4.6. What does it say? I know we have a lot of smart folks. Some of y'all might remember this one. It says, my people uh, are destroyed uh, because they do not know me. The King James Version said, my people perish for lack of Knowledge. My people perish because of lack of knowledge. Our families are, are perishing, literally dying, and some of them going to hell because the knowledge was just simply not passed on. Education never, somebody say never, ends. And so what if your kids, if your kids die and go to hell, what if maybe the, they go to hell because of what you didn't do for them? Maybe us parents are going to be held to a, a higher standard of what we did or didn't do with what God gave us. And, and they had no clue, right? Each and every person will one day have to choose, but God wants to use you to help do that, right? Let's look at that next point. We're going to shift. We're going to make a shift. Somebody say shift to the spiritual family and how we can use practical steps to value or devalue, right? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, prayer, and worship. So key, so vital, so plain, so practical, right? But this is how the church has to rebuild the church house, the church family. We have to place value on God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are some churches that love God, they accept the Father, they love Jesus, but they didn't talk about the Holy Spirit at all. Where's God? In heaven, right? Y'all heard me say this. Where's Jesus? In heaven, seated at the right hand of God. Where's the Holy Spirit? In the earth, in the hearts of believers. So why are so many churches ignoring the only part of God that's actually here on earth for us to tap into? Right? Right? The most important part that everybody's ignoring. That's where the power of God comes. We still pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus, but God used me by the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Do you see how it works together? And so I just said all three are equally important, equally Godhead, uh, and they are all equally God. What does Jesus always do? Points to the Father. What does the Holy Spirit always do? 
point to Jesus. Do you see how that works? They just, they honor each other. And they're equally uh, the Trinity of God. The Word of God. Church, we got, I talked about the Word of God a lot this morning. Now, there's no substitute for this, for the Word of God. There's no substitute. There's no, there's no devotion that you can do that can take this place. Devotions are good. Do them. But there's nothing that can substitute the Word of God. You know, we talk about words being seeds, right? The ability to, to plant seeds and then for them to sprout up in life or in death. God's Word is the only eternal seed that is nothing but life. If you speak and pray and read his word, nothing but life can sprout up. Come on, somebody. And you need, in every circumstance, you need his word. You need more life. You need more Holy Spirit. You need more Jesus. We have to place value on his word again. The prayer. You know, prayer is super important. It's vital, right? It's our direct line of communication to God. And it's two ways. I pray so he can hear me, and then I actually stop and shut my mouth in his presence, and you'll be amazed at what you'll begin to hear. Or he'll give you a verse, usually guiding you back to what? His word, right? And it's two ways in worship. Y'all love the worship team? Yeah, that was kind of weak. Y'all give him a hand. A worship team ushering in the presence every single week. Y'all, I could just do worship the whole Sunday morning. Now don't think I get up here and preach. Amen, says our guitar player. But hey, worship is more than just music. Anybody ever heard that before? Worship is a lifestyle. You know what? You can worship God when you're working. Whatever it is that you do. You, you can worship God as you're driving and praying and declaring. You can worship God. It's got to be in here. It's got to be in your heart. When it gets tough, you got to be your own praiser. you got to be your own worship leader. you gotta, you got to get yourself in gear sometimes and say, you know what, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to live that scenario out. I'm going to worship you, God. Right? There's so many avenues and outlets and ways we can do that. Look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. For time's sake, let's skip down to, to verse 13 there, Drew. This will continue until we have all come to such unity and faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown away about every new wind and new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak with truth and love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is what? The head of the body of the church. He makes the whole body fit together Perfectly, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is the responsibility of the local church, honoring and placing value on God, uh, the Word of God, on prayer and worship. All those things help facilitate and do all those things that we just read about to allow the church to know its identity and for the church to rise up and step in its full authority, giftings, and abilities. Amen? That last point there, well, second to last, the last one we're going to look at on the spiritual family. Ways we can value or devalue. Evangelism, discipleship, ministry, and people. Right? As the church, we have to use these things and place value on them. Evangelism, I just said, how we share the gospel is how we break the church out of these four walls. Is evangelism. That's how we share the gospel, and that's how we break out of the walls of the church. 
It's how we bring the good news to the world outside of us. Discipleship is how we raise up warriors in the truth of God. And ministry is the direction that God is leading our church. What are we doing in our ministry? What type of ministries do we have? Do we provide? Do we offer? That's the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the direction that God has for our church. Y'all know we got a lot of ministries here at Liberty Church. God has us going in a lot of directions for the glory. Come on, somebody. We're like stretched out, pulled out, going 360. Yeah, for his glory in Jesus' name. Last one, people, believers and non-believers. Y'all, we have to begin to see not just people but souls. That's how we place value on people. Anybody coming through that door, no matter what they look like, as long as they got clothes on, you can't come here naked. We can't dance like David did at Liberty Church Holly Pond. Uh, but I don't care what you wear or what you look like. If you come to the doors of Liberty Church, you're coming. If, if you're here, that means you're looking for some truth, and we're going to let you in. Right? We're going to speak truth. We're going to speak love. And we're going to accept you right where you're at. Because I was a prodigal son one day first before I ever became some pastor. I had my own pigsty, had my own pig pen, had my own sin, my own mess that I made. And I'm thankful that Liberty Church said, come on. And loved me and welcomed me. That last point. Sorry, I went a little long today. Family matters because our identity and values are forged in the fire of family. We have to fight for and guard our families against the schemes of the enemy. And we got serpents there in quotation marks. Remember our little message, donkeys and serpents? What kind of sneaky snakes are you allowing into your life? Are there any sneaky snakes? Right? We have to fight for our family using our words to establish identity, using identity to reinforce values and reinforce our beliefs. We have to fight for our identity and values because the world wants to take them both. The world wants to take your values, your identity, and your belief. Look at 2 Timothy. I'll wrap us up with this. 3, 1 through 6. It says, you should know this, Timothy. This is Paul writing to Timothy, his disciple. That in the last days there will be difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes, families, and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Church, do y'all think we're there? Is that where we currently are? Then how much more Sober, vigilant, aware. You know, what's that word? You know, they, they, they're saying we need to be woke, right? We don't need to be awoke. We don't need to be woke, but church, we need to be awake Amen. to what is going on. And God wants to use the family church house to come alongside and help the family family house begin to see truth, walk in light, walk in power, walk in love, power, sound mind, all of these things so that none of us will be led astray so that our kids will be trained up 
and their kids will be trained up. Amen. This is the responsibility that God has placed on the family and the church. Does anybody accept it this morning? Who accepts the responsibility this morning? Only a couple hands. There, that gives me some hope. Hope I'm not the only one fighting. Just me and you and Pete, Shondor. Becky says, I'm good. Amen. We all fight with me? I'll fight with you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, we love you. I thank you for each and every person here this morning. The families that we're all a part of, God, in this church family that you've, you've literally planted in the middle of Holly Pond. I pray we would be good stewards of that. God, I pray we would begin to see our words for what they are, the value of our words. I begin, we would begin to see that when our words are transformed into your words, there's real power to shape identities. And identities can shape values. And values can be passed on, God. I pray that the values are your values in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you're here this morning, I want you all to stay in prayer. If you are born again, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right now I want you to pray for the lost, please. Begin to pray right now. Bombard heaven for lost souls. But if you're here today and you've never made that decision to say, you know what? I believe in God. I want to enter into this forever family that you've been talking about, Pastor Ian, that I can have a place. You say there's a chair with my name on it? At God's table, I want to enter into his family right now. If you're either here in our sanctuary and you're thinking that or feeling that, or you're watching us online and you're thinking that or feeling that, right now I want you to do something for me. Before I ask you, I want you to know no one's looking at you or watching you. This is your moment and your moment between you and God, okay? If God is speaking to you and you want to do that right now, I want you to do something for me. And what the thing I want you to do is I want you to stand up physically stand up right now. Here in the sanctuary, I want you to stand up to get right with God. How easy is that? Hallelujah. There are people standing. Heaven rejoices. I want you to continue to standing. No one's looking at you. I want you just to, just to focus on God in my place right now. If you're watching at home, I want you to type that in. Say, hey, I'm standing or type something in so we can see you. Amen. If you're standing, I want you to know God loves you. Amen. God sees you. He knows you. And no matter what you've done, the decisions you've made, the choices you've made, nothing is unredeemed in the name of Jesus. Because Christ came to live and die for your bad choices, for your sins. Amen. And so you are blessed today. And heaven rejoices when one soul comes home. So I want to lead us in a prayer. If you're watching on home, I want you to, want you to say this out loud with me. If you're here in our sanctuary, I want you to say this out loud with me. It's going to go like this, okay? Loud and proud. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We accept you. We believe in you. And we confess that you are Lord and Savior and Redeemer. So help me right now. Send your Holy Spirit to affirm that I am born again, set free, made free, in the name of Jesus. Help me the rest of the days of my life until you call me home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's awesome. <laughs> Praise God. Like I said, heaven rejoices. Liberty Church. Rejoice if it's just one person that comes home. Amen. Thank you all so much for bearing with me. I was a little long-winded.
today. Amen. It was good stuff. Anybody glad you came to church today? Yeah, a whole bunch of you. Well, then I don't feel so bad. Amen. I know he's hungry, though, so y'all are dismissed. Okay, we love you. Come back and see us next week. Amen.